Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, as we continue in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Over the past 15 weeks or so, we have looked at the Beatitudes, and we have seen that those are not ethical statements, those are just statements about what a person is who is in Christ. They're not things we do to earn favor with God. We are, those are things we are because we are in Christ and His Spirit is at work within our life. And that's very important to understand. Then we saw that we are disciples in the world. We are salt and light. And our purpose, our overarching purpose, which we talked about even in the foundation of Grace Baptist Church sermons a few weeks ago, our overarching purpose is to glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then we came last week to begin looking at this section between verses 21 and 48. We looked at 21 through 32 uh, in, a, in a quick sort of way. And, and, and in these verses, you really do kind of see the, the ethics of the kingdom begin to come through. You know, Jesus said, you've heard it said before, you shall not murder. Well, of course you've heard that. That's in the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, if you hate your brother, then you've committed murder, in essence, in your heart already. And then he said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I, I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with, uh, with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in, her in his heart. And then we saw, you've heard it said, that whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorcement or of divorce. But... But I say, you know, if you divorce your wife, except for the, the reason of unchastity or uncleanliness or, or, or basically physical adultery, you commit adultery. Make her commit adultery. Make her to appear to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery or appears to be committing adultery. We looked at those and we saw that Jesus takes some very, some, some very simple and very clear ethical teachings of the scripture and he brings them down and says but it's not just the letter of the law that is important it is the spirit of the law it's not just what is stated in black and white and very clear that we're concerned about it's not just trying to to keep a score and say well I have never ever ever taken a life by murder but have you ever been angry have you ever hated you know, in that sense, there's a, a sense in which you have broken the spirit of the law while you never have perhaps broken the letter of the law. And the thing Jesus is showing us here in this ethic of the kingdom is, is that there's a different way of life. There's, a, there's an understanding that the law makes it clear that we are all guilty before God. We are all without excuse. And yet we may try to make excuses for ourselves in legalistic ways, which God says you you miss the whole point if that's what you're trying to do. I want to come back to that matter of divorce in just a minute to tie it into this fourth ethical statement. There are three more we're going to look at today. Uh, and we've called the sermon, Truth, Rights, and Love. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 33. Again, you've heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, or, or, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of His feet, 
or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot change, uh, make one hair, white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. You have heard also that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, or you've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, this is a tough statement, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Truth, rights, and love. Three things that fit into the, to the ethics of the kingdom. He starts out by talking about oaths. He said, you know, you've heard it said you're not supposed to make a false vow, but be sure and fulfill your vows to the Lord. Well, that should go without saying. That's a fairly clear statement. You ought to not lie to people. You ought not deceive people. You ought not try to take advantage of people. If you make an oath, especially an oath to the Lord, then the law would say very clearly, you are to keep that oath. You are to abide by that oath. But Jesus then speaking, I think in somewhat hyperbole, says, listen, don't even make an oath. I say to you, make no oath at all by heaven or by earth, the throne of God, the footstool of God, or by Jerusalem or by your own head because your head is not all that great a thing. You can't change the color of your hair as most of us are finding out in later years. So, but rather let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. He said this is what believers ought to be known by. Believers ought to be known by truthfulness. Believers ought to be known as people of truth. People who tell the truth, people who speak the truth, people who live the truth. Now, how does that tie back into that issue of divorce that, that he dealt with just before truth? Well, marriage involves vows. Marriage involves promises. Marriage involves saying before God, before witnesses, and before one another, I'm making a pledge, I'm telling you the truth, I am taking you to be my partner for the rest of life. I, and we usually add in those vows, do you take them in better or for better and for worse and richer and poor and sickness and in health? And do you do that for as long as you both shall live? And both partners stand there very giddily and very happily at that wedding altar. We'll see next Saturday. And they will say, I do. 
And they're making a promise to one another that I'm going to love you, I'm going to care for you, I'm going to stick with you through thick and thin no matter what happens. You know, that's a pretty good thing. And, and Jesus says, you know, truth involves itself in the marriage relationship. Truth involves itself in the life relationship. Truth involves itself and ought to be the very character, the very heart of every single believer. Do you realize how much the Scripture talks about truth? Many of you do because we've just gone through the Truth Project and we've spent... 13 weeks talking about truth, talking about God's truth, talking about Jesus' statement before Pilate where he said, it is for this reason that I came into the world to testify to the truth. Some people struggle with that a little bit. They said, you know, well, I think Jesus also said, I came to seek and to save sinners. Jesus also said, I, I came to reveal the Father. Jesus also said, I came, for a multi I came to give you abundant life. I mean, he gave a, a lot of reasons why he came. But the other thing, understanding is, it has to be there, is all of those fall under the umbrella of truth. We have abundant life if we know the truth. We have eternal life. We've been sought and found by the Savior, and we have eternal life if we know the truth. And if we know the truth, it sets us free. And so throughout all of Scripture, honesty and truth is a very important matter. He asked the question, Truth Project, I like that question. Why is that the case? Could not God have just as easily said, you know, uh, listen, tell lies to one another, deceive one another, fool one another all the time. Could, uh, he's God. Couldn't he have just said that? Well, no, he couldn't. The reason he couldn't is because truth is, his, is at the very essence of his character. It's at the very essence of who he is. He is the God of truth who cannot lie. Now, Satan, on the other hand, is the father of lies. He's the deceiver. He's the one who lies at every turn. And the world is enthralled and captured and enslaved by him in so many instances. And so the world finds itself lying after time after time. And because of that, they're just following their father, the father of lies. Jesus is saying, you as believers... You who are in the kingdom, you who have had the work of God done in your life, need to understand that you are no longer a child of the father of lies. You are now a child of the father of truth and the, the, the revealer of truth. And you are to live your life in, in that light. What he's saying here is there ought not be a need for somebody to say, will you place your hand on the Bible and raise your right hand? And do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? If you're a Christian, they'll not have to ask you to do that. If you go into a courtroom, if you're known as being a believer, now they will still ask you to, I realize, but they'll not have to. They ought to say, wow, that person's a Christian. I know they're a Christian. I know their walk. I've seen their testimony. I've seen their witness. They are a believer. No need to swear them in. They're going to tell the truth. Because truth is the very essence of the character of our Father. Same thing with marriage. When you talk about the, the promises that are made there, Christians ought to keep their promises in the marriage to be faithful, to honor their wife, to honor their husband, to live in, a, in an understanding way in that and to, to keep that marriage vow in place because they are people of the truth. But not only that, because marriage is a beautiful picture, intended to be a beautiful picture of Christ's relationship to His church. It's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, listen, 
you know, the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. The wife is to submit to her husband in the same way that the church is to submit to Christ. And here is this beautiful picture of the nature of Christ and the nature of his church all wrapped up in the marriage relationship that God has given you. And when you break that, when you abolish those vows uh, short of something catastrophic like Jesus says here, then you're doing it too callously. You're doing it too cavalierly. You're doing it through casually. And you're, you're at the very moment giving a false testimony of what this relationship is. Christ and his church, dying for his church, loving his church so much that he went to the cross. And so this matter of divorce and marriage and truth and lies and keeping our word and keeping our vows are so important in the ethic of the kingdom, the ethic of the kingdom of God. He said, listen, just let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Don't go about, I swear this is true. I swear on my mother's grave this is true. I swear on whatever. Don't do that. It ought to be unnecessary. Just be sure that your life is characterized by the internal working of the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of truth. Live it out. Let him live through you. They said not only that, you, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, now th this gets really difficult, guys. I've got to be honest with you. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. Some have said because of that statement, Jesus was a pacifist. He, he just you know, did, wanted no kind of resistance, no kind of defense, nothing. Well, it, it kind of shows he's not that way with his experience in the temple, if you recall. When he went into the temple and the money changers were there and they were turning that, that beautiful worship place of Almighty God, that place of prayer, that place of coming before the living God, turning into a den of thieves. He wasn't very pacifistic there. He went in, he took a, a, a rope and, and some leather and he wound it together and made a whip out of it. He turned over the tables and he used that whip and he drove them out of there and said, get out of here, you've made my father's house a, that ought to be a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves and he threw them out. Forcibly and physically. But it's because they were, they were affecting the character of God. They were attacking the very nature and the character of God in that, in that instance. Our problem is we tend to retaliate personally. We, we tend to take things personally. We say, it's my right to not have my feelings hurt. It's my right to not be offended. It's my right to not be made uncut. To be made uncomfortable. And we stand up and we demand our rights, our rights. And so if you do this to me, then I'll do the same to you. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You realize that's the lex talionis, the law of, of, of retaliation uh, in the Old Testament. And you realize most people say, see, it means get the fullest amount of revenge you can. It doesn't mean that at all. Matter of fact, that was a very limiting thing. The, the lax talionis was very limiting. It, it, it said this, listen, if somebody takes your eye, then you can go so far as to take their eye. You can't kill them. You can't take both eyes. You, you can't say, you know, if it's, a, if it's an eye for an eye, if, it's, if they knock a tooth out, you can't pull them all to get revenge. You can't break their neck. 
it was a limiting thing. But Jesus said, y'all don't even worry about that. If someone offends you, if someone somehow infringes upon your, what you perceive to be your rights, they slap you on the right cheek, turn the other one also. If they sue you and take your shirt, give them your coat. If they force you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, that was, that was a very possible thing to happen right there because the Romans had, the Romans had occupied the land, and, and one of the Roman laws was if you're out working in your field and the Roman soldiers are coming along and they say uh, to you, listen, you come with me and I want you to carry my, my sword and my shield and my luggage or my, my backpack or whatever they had back then, uh, you, a duffel bag, you carry it. And you were forced to come out of the field, and, and you had to carry it a mile. It was law. You had to do it. It was said that some Jewish farmers who, who had this happen to them often literally had stakes marked out. They would go out when they weren't working. They'd mark out stakes in both directions for one mile at each place so they would know when they reached the point where they could stop and throw it down and say, there's your stuff. Get out of here. He said, if they do that... Somebody comes along and says, look, here's my bag and here's my shield. Take it for a mile. Don't stop at the mile post. Take it too. Show them that you're not so caught up in what your rights are that you're not willing to say, listen, I will, I, I will show you what, I'll show you what service is. I'll show you what giving up rights to try to minister to you is all about. Go with them a second mile. Take it a second mile. Give it, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. In other words, care. Care for others. Don't demand your rights. Show them you'll take responsibility to minister to them is what Jesus is saying. Then there's the third thing. He said, you heard it said... Heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Makes sense. Your enemy attacks. Your enemy tries to take from you. Your enemy doesn't like you. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow. So that you may be sons of your father. Who is in heaven? Do you know where we would all be if God followed the principle, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Do you know where we would all be? Any clue? We would be damned. If, if God hated his enemies, every one of us, before we came to Christ, the scripture says, you are an enemy of God. You are at enmity to God. No man seeks after God. Nobody wants a friendship with God. We are frightened by Him. We are, we are, we are scared to come into His presence. And, and until He reaches down by His Holy Spirit and touches us and, and draws us to Himself, John says, then we are absolutely the enemies of God. And if God took on the attitude, well, I'm going I'm to love those who love me and hate those who hate me, I'm going to hate my enemies, then we would all have been cast into the dark the deepest darkness. Because it wasn't until the atonement of Christ touched our life and the Holy Spirit gave us eyes to see and 
ears to hear and a heart to believe. We were all the enemies of God, according to Scripture. He said, you know, God puts the sun to shine on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even those, don't even those tax collectors do that? Now, that, you understand, when Jesus said that to the ears of those who were hearing, that was just about as bad as you could get. He might as well have said, don't those meth dealers even do that? Don't those drug pushers and pedophiles and everybody else, don't they even do They love those who love them. If you greet only your brothers... Don't even the Gentiles do that? If you limit your care and limit your love and limit your ministry and limit your giving of your life to just those who, who love you and, and do for you and care for you, then don't everybody do that? See what he's saying here? Don't murder by hating and being angry. Don't commit adultery by lusting. Don't break your marriage vows by, by lying. Don't, don't lie and make false oaths, but let your, let your words be true. If you say it, mean it. Don't get retaliation, but go an extra mile and minister. Love your enemies and pray for them. Don't try to get even with them. Don't try to punish them. I mean... Scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And Jesus is simply saying here, you need to let God do what God does best, and you do what God has called you to do best, and that is care for, minister to, and love one another. It's just that simple. See, we've bought into a lie. we bought into the lie of the world and the lie of the Father of this world that says, you know, the ultimate meaning of life is just to be happy. Just to be happy. And if it makes me happy, it's right. If it makes me unhappy, oh, it's bad. And so you find people who get angry with one another because they're not happy unless they're angry, unless they can get even. You, you find people who, who, who want to be happy so they, they turn away from their marriage vows and turn away from, from the commitments they've made in their family because it's just happier to do so. It makes them feel better for some reason. They love their family. They love their friends because they love them back and that makes them really happy and makes them feel good and and sometimes it just feels good to, to get vengeance on somebody. And I, it just feels good. It makes me happy to do that in my flesh. Jesus said, I want you to know something. That last verse. You are to be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. You ever seen the bumper? You know how I love bumper stickers. Have you ever seen the? And that's a facetious statement. Bumper sticker theology is the worst theology. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker that says, 
Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. You ever seen that? Hope it's not on your car. Uh, see everybody run out here tearing things off their car this morning after church. Christians are not perfect, they're just forgiven. Well, there's an element of truth to that. There is an element of truth to that. But do you realize forgiveness is not the essence of the gospel? Perfection is. We're not to be, we can't be perfect in our own righteousness. We talk about this all the time here at Grace. But we are perfect in the righteousness of Christ. And what Jesus is saying here is you've got to get in the right relationship and you've got to dwell in the right relationship and you've got to live in the right relationship if you're going to be able to, to be a part of the kingdom. If the ethics of the kingdom are going to be a part of your life. You say, man, I can't help it. When somebody does something to me, I just get so mad, I just want to get even with them. Well, good. So do the Gentiles. So do the pagans. So do the unbelievers. And so do I sometimes. And the Holy Spirit zaps me and says that's not the way it's to be. Somebody done something against you, you ought to pray for your enemy. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, boy, that person's really hurt me. That person's really done something against me. I'm just going to pray for them. You know, it's hard to hate somebody when you're praying for them. Have you ever noticed that? Now, I guess if you pray the imprecatory prayers of Psalm, uh, some of you don't even know what that is, where David says, I pray that you will strike your enemy and destroy them and wipe them from the face of the earth. I mean, I, if you're praying imprecatory prayers, I guess then you... I don't think what Jesus is saying. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. I think he's saying pray for them. Lift them up before the Father. Pray for their salvation. Pray that they will come into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Pray that God will bless them. That's why a few weeks ago, one of our former vice presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention, which Lord only knows how he was ever elected, said he was happy that Dr. Tiller had been murdered, and he prayed, basically said he was praying the same would come to effect on President Obama. It was horrendous. Thankfully, there was an outpouring of, of horrors from believers who said, listen, that's not how we're to pray. And he justified it by saying, well, I'm just praying like David prayed. Well, you need to pray like Jesus prayed. You know, there's just a need within the body to say, listen, I want to live by the truth. I want to be a person of truth because the spirit of truth indwells in me and the Lord of truth is my Lord and the God of truth is my heavenly Father. I just want to be a person of truth. And rights, my rights, I don't need to worry about my rights. God will take care of me. I need to give up my rights sometimes so that I can be more effective in ministering to others. Love, I'll not just love those who love me and who are nice to me, but I ought to love those who hate me, love those who persecute me, love those who are my enemies, and show them love. You know, it's real easy to say, and you've heard people say this, you've probably said it yourself, oh, I don't hate anybody, I just love everybody. Really? 
What have you done for that neighbor that just continually agitates the stew out of you every time you turn around? What have you done to, to show them love? Well, I hadn't shot their dog yet. <laughs> no, it doesn't get it. What are you positively doing? What are you doing to, to just show them love? Because, see, love is action. Love is, not, love is not a goosey feeling. Love is action. Jesus says, listen, if you're in the kingdom and the kingdom's Lord has captivated your life and the spirit of truth of the kingdom has filled your life, then you ought to be all about loving one another, caring for one another, caring for the world around you, taking the great, you know what the greatest act of love you can give to a person is? Share the gospel with them. Share Christ with them. It's the greatest act of love you can show. You say, well, they don't want to hear it. That doesn't matter. I don't want to be awakened at 2 a.m. in the morning, but if my house is on fire, please do it. Jesus said, listen, if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, you will be different. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, your life will reflect difference that this world will not understand let's pray and father it's by your truth that we live by your word that we are fed. It is by your son that we are empowered to be what you have called us to be. Lord, when you tell us we're to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect, we know that perfection comes as a gift of your righteousness through that exchange on the cross. It's not something we can accomplish. But it's something you give us as a free gift in Christ. So we're clothed in your righteousness alone. Father, it's easy to talk it. Help us live it. Help us live it this week. Whether we're going to the Southern Baptist Convention or going to work or just in our homes. Lord, shape us into citizens of the kingdom that will glorify our Father who is in heaven above everything else. For this, O Lord, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.